Well, he is risen. Great. Praise God for that. Happy Easter. Uh, A number of years ago, I was in Chicago, Illinois with a friend, and we stopped off at this hotel, and uh, we were in the hotel lobby in Chicago, and who would walk in but Scottie Pippen. So some of you are basketball fans know who that is. He is Hall of Fame small forward of the Chicago Bulls, uh, won all the six championships with Michael Jordan, but he was probably one of the greatest defenders of uh, the history of the NBA. And so here he walks in, man, I want to meet Scottie Pippen. So he makes his way to the restroom. I was that obnoxious fan that waited outside the bathroom to meet Scottie Pippen. I was that guy. And so sure enough, he came out. I said, Mr. Pippen, he said, you can call me Scottie. I said, I just want you to know I love your game, man. I watched it uh, for years and really respect uh, how you defend people and how you play. And he was real kind. And we exchanged words for a little while. I got his autograph and he said, thank you. And he walked off. And anyway, and, and so I noticed the whole time I was talking to him, my buddy was across the hotel lobby didn't even come over and so I walked over and said I can't believe you didn't come over and he goes well who was that and I said that was Scotty Pippen and he said to me some of the cruelest words I've ever heard he said who's Scotty Pippen <laughs> and that was the last day I was his friend <laughs> not really not really we're still friends today but have you ever been in the presence of somebody really important and you didn't realize it until later well that actually took place in the account of the resurrection story, and I want us to look at that, one particular lady who didn't realize she was in the presence of greatness, that lady is named Mary Magdalene. Do you know that Mary Magdalene is spoken of more often in the New Testament than any other woman? You might say, well, what about the Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus? Well, you'd be right in that Mary, the mother of Jesus, had more speaking parts in the New Testament. But Mary Magdalene shows up more often. Mary was named. It's the most common name at the time, probably. There's about six Marys that show up in the Gospels. Mary is named for Miriam, uh, Moses' sister in the Old Testament. Miriam actually means bitter. Did you know that? Because uh, she was born in the bondage of Egypt during a very bitter season, bitter time. Uh, but it became uh, this picture of grace, of course. And so many women, there's probably a lot of people in here named for Mary. And so Mary Magdalene. We know from the last part, Magdala, that she was from this area just to the west of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, you can go today to Israel and you can go to the, the ruins of this ancient city. Magdala means tower, and there was a tower of the fish in that place so that fishermen could find their way to the shore in that area. Mary of Magdala. She was radically saved in that region at one time. The Gospels tell us that Jesus actually cast seven demons from Mary Magdalene. So as you can imagine, she was overwhelmed by the grace that she'd been offered when she was saved by Jesus and followed him uh, passionately for the rest of her life all the way up to the account of the resurrection. Just one other aside, Mary Magdalene's sort of gotten a bad rap through history. If you've ever seen a video or a, 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 a film about Jesus... And they depicted Mary Magdalene. How, did, how was she depicted? Usually as kind of sultry or, or uh, dressed in scarlet. And she was, she's kind of known as a prostitute. It's nowhere in Scripture that indicates Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. The Lord Jesus did save others who came from that background. He can save anybody, but that was not Mary Magdalene's case. That all comes from the late 6th century. Pope Gregory the Great, or Gregory the First, was sharing a message, and he sort of created this mishmash of several Marys in the New Testament where he decided that Mary Magdalene, he would propose, was also Mary of Bethany, was also the woman who uh, anointed Jesus with the oil, and so therefore uh, she was... 
a prostitute. And it was actually corrected, uh, corrected later on, but uh, all through the years it's kind of held on and Hollywood really likes this idea, so she continues to be portrayed this way. But no, Mary Magdalene was an incredible woman of faith who loved the Lord Jesus. And she was also the first one who had a conversation with the risen Lord Jesus. That's what I want us to look at today. Would you turn your Bibles to John chapter 20? John chapter 20, resurrection morning. Jesus has been crucified, buried, and on the third day he rose. We know that Mary Magdalene and two others went to the tomb to anoint the body only to discover it was empty. They ran back to tell the disciples, Peter and John, run uh, to the tomb. Mary Magdalene follows them. By the time she gets there, they've seen and they went to tell others. So Mary Magdalene has the tomb all to herself. And here's where we pick up the passage in verse 11. Look with me as I read. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord. She told them, and I don't know uh, where they put him. And then we have Jesus' first words after the resurrection. If you have attended Kingsland before, you know in the last few weeks, we have been studying the last words of Jesus on the cross before he was crucified. These are the first words of Jesus after the resurrection. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Notice that Jesus' first words were surrounding a key question. He addresses her as woman, so she knows he's talking to her, and he says, why are you crying? He repeats the question that the angels ask, but the central question that he's asking is this one, who is it that you're seeking? Who is it that you're seeking? And by asking that question, I believe that Jesus was echoing the central question of all of humanity throughout all of history. You could summarize that same question this way. Who is God? Who are you seeking? Who is it that you're seeking? Now listen, I believe every person today within the sound of my voice, regardless of your background or why you're here or why you're watching online, we all have this central question. And until we answer this question, nothing else matters. I want to share with you for the next few minutes two important implications about this central question, who is God? First of all, I want you to simply see that no one escapes the question. Everybody has the burden of this question. Look back at verse 15. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? There are plenty of other good questions he could have asked. Why, why is it that you're hurting today? What is it that you want to know about what's taking place? Uh, uh, do you want to understand what you need to do next? All these things. But he said, who is it? that you're seeking. He wanted to know who is it that was her God. And here's why. You have to get this one right. Jesus is bringing Mary Magdalene to the heart of the only thing that's ever going to give her the peace that she needs. She needs to understand who she's pursuing. That is the foundation. Several years ago when the girls were younger, I was 
driving home from work on a beautiful spring day and I had an idea that came into my head. I thought I would love to launch a model rocket with my girls. When I was a kid, I had a model rocket and had a lot of fun uh, shooting that off into the sky. And I thought, we've never done that, so why not do it today? And so on a whim, I pulled off into the Hobby Lobby, went back. They had a whole rocket section there. And, uh, you know, it's surprising how many they had and how complicated they can become. Uh, you can have, some of them, you have to spend weeks building these things and painting them just right. I had absolutely no interest in constructing a rocket. I wanted them to give me one that was already put together. And so they had this one beginner rocket, like ready to put together, all in a bag. I'm like, cool. It all came in the packet, except it said engine not included. You had to buy the engine. Well, there was a whole section of like 30 or 40 different rocket engines. Some of you who do these things know. And so I didn't have the time to be reading the instructions on which engine to get. And so I thought, I'm just going to get the biggest engine because... I'm from Texas. That's what we do. I'm only going to do this probably one time with my girls, so just get the biggest, okay? Go big or go home. Got the engine, got the rocket, went home. The girls were really excited. In fact, we invited some friends over to enjoy this time with us. Went out on the front lawn, got it all set up. We got the beginner launch kit as well. You put it on the little, uh, uh, what you call it, the dowel that'll make it shoot straight in the air. You you have the wires put together. You have a battery about 15 feet away, so you don't blow anything up that's important, okay? And so you you have that. So I put the rocket rocket then together to put on the, the, the stand, the launcher, and it wasn't that complicated. I got the beginner rocket, so you just kind of put the parachute in the top, so when it gets to the, the apex, you know, it blows up and comes graciously down to earth, and, and then you put on the cone and uh, put the fins on or whatever. The problem was the motor was too big for my rocket. So I just got some duct tape and strapped that baby on. That's what you do, right? We can solve that problem. And I put it on the launcher, and uh, true story, so we back up. And uh, had the girls back here. We, we were so excited. We had the launch pad ready. And I said, okay, girls, here we go. And we counted down. Ten, nine, eight. And we all did this together. It's really exciting. And some of you who've launched model rockets before know it's a really cool experience because in an instant when you get down to zero and you put those wires together, it ignites the whatchamacallit. And then the, the engine goes up and it has this really cool sound. It shoots up in the air gloriously. And so we get down to one. That's exactly what happened. We... We click the wires together, and that rocket goes straight up, about 50 feet in the air, which didn't seem like enough, really. And it just stopped. Turns out it was a two-stage rocket, but it turns sideways <laughs> like a ballistic missile. And then it reignited, and it shot out of sight over the treetops into the neighborhood. All I could think to say was, get in the house, girls, get in the house, quick. Don't say anything to your friends about this whole experience. It'll just be between us. Don't know what happened to that rocket. That was the last time we saw it, and I hope it's the last time. I hope it landed in a treetop or something. We weren't on the news. We did watch to see that night. Well, listen, the moral of the story is if you get the engine wrong, nothing else matters, right? You're not going to go in the right direction. And the same thing goes with our theology. Do you see? If we get this question wrong about who God is, then none of the other questions will add up. We all want to fast forward and answer other questions. What exactly is true? What is the purpose in life? What am I supposed to? Those are all good questions. But until you get down the the core question of who God is, none of that other stuff matters. That is the foundation. I realize that we have friends who come today from all sorts of backgrounds. I love that God has brought the nations to Katy, Texas, and West Houston, and even to Kingsland. 
And, and, and some of you have come today and you're just checking out the things of God. And I applaud you because you're at least here because you either love somebody who, who loves the Lord or you're here because you're asking this foundational question. That's the place to begin. Who is God? Do you see? But listen, there are probably some here also who think, well, pastor, if we're having a conversation, what I tell you right now is when you ask that question, who is God? I'm just going to check the box that says none of the above. Like, there is no God. That's what I believe. And you need to at least be honest enough to know that the burden of proof is on you. Because if you're going to check none, then you have a lot of explaining to do. This has been the question of, all, of the ages. How do you explain origins? How do you explain the intricacy of nature that couldn't possibly happen by accident? How are you doing that? Or you can dig into the philosophers who have tried to go down this dead-end road and say there is no God, and you find out the folly of where they have found their conclusions, and you realize you have just as much of a burden, if not more, than I do, if that's going to be your answer. And see, everybody has, has left with this question, who is God, we all have to ask that one. No one escapes the question. You know, it's interesting, if you look back at the scriptures with this question in mind, you'll see a pattern that all the way through the scriptures, many times just before God is going to give a command or call the people to do something, he gets back to this foundational question. Let me just give you some examples. You find it all through the scripture when you start to look. Exodus chapter 20 is famous for the Ten Commandments. Everybody knows about the Ten Commandments, right, that God gave Israel. Before he gave one command, do you know what he says in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 10? I am the Lord your God. He's reminding them that he's not calling them to keep the commandments so that they can be uh, children of God. He's calling them to keep the commandments because they are the children of God. It begins with who God is. I think about Deuteronomy 6, such a precious passage to Israelites, to Hebrews, even Jews today, and it's very important in our church context because we talk so much about the family. This is where God has commanded parents to be the primary faith trainers. You're to teach these commands diligently to your children. He says first they're to be on your heart and then teach them diligently to your children. And he tells some practical ways how, but that's not how the passage begins. How does it begin in Deuteronomy 6? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He begins by saying first you need to know who God is. Matthew chapter 16, before Jesus goes to the cross, he takes his disciples to the northeast area of Israel up to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is sort of the hub of pagan idolatry at the time when he's alive there in Israel. There's all sorts of uh, stuff going on, pagan worship, idol worship happening in this area. He brings his disciples to this center, and he doesn't bring them there so that he can lecture them about all the woes of this idol, idol worship. What does he do? He says, who do men say that I am? And then he asks a more poignant question. He says, who do you say that I am? Who is God? Do you see? He's bringing us back to this central question on which every other question is based. In fact, let me tell you some good news that we find in our passage today. If you can get this question right, then you have a whole lot of freedom with these other questions that you have, it turns out. Look back at the passage. I want you to see something in verse 12. This is before Mary Magdalene even gets a glimpse of Jesus. It says, she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they put him. Now, did you catch what she said there? She said, because they've taken away 
my Lord. When we say my Lord, we just think of a church word. That's what you refer to Jesus as. But in this particular case, it's a very significant word. Lord means master and king. Remember, Mary Magdalene is not been weeping because she was hoping to see a risen Lord, yet that was not in her mind. She's weeping because she thinks the dead body of Jesus has been taken away. And even in that state of all those unanswered questions, she's weeping because he said, they've taken away my Lord. In other words, Mary's saying, I have a thousand questions left unanswered right now. But I know this, I know what Jesus has done in my life. And I know he's demonstrated himself as my Lord and my God, and I will trust him even when all this other stuff is a mystery. Do you see? In other words, if you can get this question right, then you can live in the tension of other unanswered questions. Many of us have been praying the last few uh, days uh, for Morgan Dornack. We stopped to pray for 11-year-old Morgan Dornack in all of our services last Sunday here at Kingsland. And some of you know that uh, I believe God heard every prayer, but he answered it differently than maybe we would have prescribed because we don't have the mind of God, but he answered it. And Megan, uh, Morgan is with Jesus today. What you may not know is that Morgan was scheduled to be baptized in the Easter baptism services today. I was talking to her mom this week. She shared with me that Morgan uh, came to faith in Christ a couple of years ago. but She just wasn't real sure, a little anxious about baptism, said, I'd like to hold off on that. And her parents rightly said, that's okay, we'll wait. And then uh, about three weeks ago, uh, she went home and told her mom, she said, I heard the announcement at church about Easter baptism. I'd like to be baptized at Easter. And she said, but mom, before I do that, I have a question. She said, what is it, honey? She said, before I get baptized... Do I need to understand everything? And her mama said, well, honey, it depends. Do you believe that God loves you? Yes, I do. Do you believe that Christ died for you? Yes, I do. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord? She said, yeah. And she said, okay, what other questions do you have? She said, well, I just have a lot of other things that I don't know. Do I have to understand everything? And her mom said rightly, Morgan, <laughs> As long as you understand who Jesus is and what he's done, you don't have to understand everything. And I think that's what the Lord would say to us today, regardless of the challenges that maybe you're facing. As long as you understand who God is, that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins, God himself, God the Son, you don't have to understand everything. Listen, I know through a lot of conversations with you and understanding how human nature works, that there's a lot of people who come today and you have some tremendous barriers of faith in your life because of unanswered questions. Why did she die? Why is he dealing with this disability? Why did he get sick? Why did she leave me? Why have I gone through this situation in my life? And I'm here to tell you, I can't answer all those questions for you, but I know this, if we can find a definitive answer to the most important question, then you can live with the unanswered questions. In fact, let me tell you one more implication. It's so important when it comes to this question, who is God? Are you ready? Jesus is the answer to the question. The resurrection answers the question emphatically. 
Look back at verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus went looking for a body and she met the risen Savior. You see, but there was a transition that took place between two names. First of all, he says, woman, and she doesn't recognize who it is. Now, throughout the, uh, the gospel accounts, we see many people who didn't recognize the risen Lord. We don't know whether that was something supernatural, that he was veiled from uh, their understanding, or it was a part of his resurrection body, which could be that. But in this case, it may just be practical terms. Mary, Mary Magdalene's overcome with emotion. Her eyes are filled with tears, and she doesn't recognize him at first. He says, woman. And then something happens between then and now. But before you think that sounds really hard that Jesus would say woman, it can't be what we, we imagine. Woman, why are you crying in our vernacular? No, it had to be more endearing than that because it's the same word Jesus used in John chapter 2 with his mama, okay? So we're talking about something endearing. It's a little more formal. She didn't recognize. But when was it that she recognized her risen Lord? When he said, Mary. He said, I know you. And I love you. And everything changed. All those other questions melted away because she had the emphatic answer to who God is and who she was seeking. She wasn't just seeking a great teacher. She wasn't seeking one God among many. She was seeking the risen Savior. In fact, I want to show you something that I think is interesting here. The angels and Jesus both repeat a question, why are you weeping? It's an interesting question. I mean, it's a relevant question. She's crying. But, uh, but then Mary's answer comes back in an interesting way when she says, what? Teacher, turning around, she said to him in verse 17 in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Uh, she calls him teacher, but not simply rabbi. She calls him Rabboni which is an endearing term of uh, someone with great honor, supreme reverence, Rabboni. But I think both the angels and Christ and then Mary were hearkening back to an Old Testament passage, a classic salvation passage in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 30. It's an invitation to salvation to Israel. The first part of Isaiah 30 is really an indictment on Israel because they've rejected their God and the opportunity that he's given them to bring them hope. And then you get to verse 18 and you see there is a beautiful invitation from God to anyone who would follow after him, who would respond to the grace that he's offered. Listen to what it says. Therefore, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy and is rising up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God all who wait patiently for him are happy. For people will live on Zion and Jerusalem. And watch this. You will never weep again. Why are you weeping? He will show favor to you at the sound of your outcry. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Why are you weeping? You see, because of the resurrection, Lord, there will come a day for everyone who knows Jesus that the Lord will wipe every tear from our eyes. You see that? Everything changes because of the resurrection. And what about Mary's answer? Look down at verse 20 of Isaiah 30. The Lord will give you meager bread and water during oppression, but your teacher, your rabbi, will not hide any longer. 
Your eyes will see your teacher. And whenever you turn to the right or left, your ears will hear this command behind you. This is the way, walk in it. Do you see, Mary Magdalene wasn't just devoted to one teacher among many, one God among many. She was fiercely devoted to the God of the universe, God became flesh, God the Son, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the risen Savior. Do you see? The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes Christianity unique among all other world religions. There's not a close second. And that's why. Confucius died and he was buried. Lao Tzu, the father of Taoism, uh, wandered off into the wilderness and he died with his water buffalo. The Buddha rotted away from food poisoning. Muhammad died in 632 and his body was cut up and spread all over the Near East. But Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And on that single statement hinges the only hope of the human race right now and in the life to come. Do you see? Jesus Christ is risen. Jesus has emphatically answered the question, who is God? We don't have to wonder anymore. It's not a mystery. And he's given us every reason to trust him, to bow to him, to make him our Savior, our Lord, and our King. Because he's the only one who has the power to save. Can I ask you a question? What's the deepest question that you have on your heart today? What's the most difficult unanswered question that you face in your life? And here's my bold request. Would you be willing to take that question and lay it before Jesus today? But do something a little bit different. Set it a little bit off to the side. And focus on this one. Who is God? And when you look at the breadth of evidence and recognize Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is. He did exactly what he said he will do. He has defeated death. He has earned the right to love you, to save you, to forgive you, and to be our king. That's the only question that matters. And that's the one we're left to answer today. Let's bow together. My friends, I'm so honored that you came today, and I love preaching the Word of God, but the reality is there's things that only God can do in your heart that I can't do. I'm not a salesman. I'm a preacher. And I know there's some within the sound of my voice, and you can sense the Spirit of God calling you to salvation, to forgiveness, to new life today. I pray that you'd respond. And I plead with you, don't wait until you have every question answered and ignore the most important question. Who is God? And ultimately, will you follow Jesus? Heavenly Father, thank you for resurrection morning. Thank you for the promise that the resurrection brings us today. Father, I pray for those who are struggling today with difficulties and challenges and hurts and heartaches that are very real. Lord, we don't minimize those. But I pray that they'd find comfort in knowing that you've answered the most difficult and most important question of all. Father, I pray for those who may not know you today. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name.